Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so you should not have to think about this idea of image of God. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and Sanctity of Life Sunday is a Sunday, the, it's this time of year, every year, and it is to celebrate life. It is to express our value, our love for life, our appreciation for life, but it's also to help us to grow in our understanding and knowledge and, 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 and conviction, that, conviction that life matters. That all of life matters from the beginning to the end, it all matters. And the image that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, the sermon title this morning is that image matters. Uh, That image matters. And the image that matters this morning we're talking about is not your social media image. It's not the image that your parents, that your neighbors, um, or that your friends have of you. Um, It's not the image in your yearbook. It's not the image hanging um, on a wall. But the image that we're talking about this morning is the image in which we have been created. In the first chapter of the Bible, we are introduced to the concept of the image of God. In this, we see the significant doctrine begins here in Genesis at our creation, and its significance does not end as we close chapter 1 or even we close the Bible. The significance continues to, to today and has significant implications to issues of our day. This morning, we are going to define the image of God. We are going to see from Scripture how it provides us with a grid that will help us think through some of the issues of everyday life in a bit from a biblical perspective. Well, Genesis chapter 1. When Genesis chapter 1, the, verse, chapter, the book begins, the whole book of the Bible begins by saying, In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In that creative act, we see in the very next verse, we're going to hear it say, And God said, Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God is creative powers that he speaks creation into existence. And as he begins to form and fill this creation, on day six, he's made the animals. He's already made the plants. He's separated the waters. He's made clouds above, water below. And in the end of, on day six, he creates us. And here's what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As God has created this world, he says that he's going to create us in his image and he does it. That we are creating the image of God. And the questions we would begin with is, is the obvious question is what does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? What does it mean? And, and, and because as we think about this idea of image of God, one of the things it sounds like, that well, it sounds like image, we must look like God. But as we read in our Bibles, in, in for instance, John chapter 4, verse 24, and Colossians 1, 15, we realize that God is spirit, 
and that God is invisible. And so if God is invisible, we realize, well, we're not invisible. We can see us. So that idea of image isn't, must not be completely tied to the idea of how we look. Well, what about the idea of likeness? Uh, the idea, does that mean that we are like God? Well, as we think about some of the characteristics of God, we know that God thinks. We think. God has emotions. We have emotions. God makes choices. We make choices. God relates to others. We relate to others. And so this likeness has some ideas, image and likenesses that we, we reflect God in some way that is like him. But then we would continue our understanding of God and realize that God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere present, and we realize, well, that's not like us. And so this idea of image and likeness, that, that is something that, uh, that we really have difficult time sometimes getting a handle on as to what it really means. Well, I want to look at a passage in the book of Matthew. Matthew 22, that will help shed some light on this, I think. And then we're going to look at a definition. Matthew 22. Um, if you're using a pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to use a pew Bible. Um, there should be one close to you. Matthew 22 in your pew Bible. This is on page 827 in the pew Bible. In the context of the passage of Luke that Jesus has come into Jerusalem for the last time at the end of the week that the current text is in, Jesus is going to be crucified, so it's very near the end of his life, and the hostility between the Pharisees and Jesus has grown. And in verse 15, we see them scheming to kind of put Jesus in a corner so they can accuse him of wrongdoing. And it says in verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They want to set a trap for Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. In verse 17, Tell us then, what do you, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, we'll pause here. This is a trap because if Jesus says, nope, don't pay taxes to Caesar, he's in trouble with the Romans. And he says, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar without any context. The, the Jews are going to say, wait a minute, they don't govern us. Why should we pay taxes to them? And so they're trying to trap Jesus in this so he can't win either way. But Jesus, in his wisdom, says this in verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. All right, so he's confronting them with their, what's going on. And he says, Give me one of those coins. So they give him a coin, and they brought him a denarius. Gets one of the coins of the day. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? Okay, whose likeness? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they marveled and left him and went away. Which means their trap didn't work. Because what did Jesus do? He says, give me a coin. So they give him a coin, and he says, whose image is on this? 
And, and, and in the day, it would have been Caesar. Caesar is the ruler of the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, whose image is on it? And they say, Caesar's. And they say, well, give to Caesar the things that are his. And here's a question. Based on that argument, why does that belong to Caesar? It's got his image on it. Because his image is on it, it belongs to him. And Jesus says to him, therefore, on their question, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Okay, so Caesar's image is on that. That belongs to Caesar. But then he said, what? And to God, the things that are God's. And what is he saying to them? So give Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And what belongs to Caesar in our context? The coin. Why? Because it bears his image. What belongs to God? We do. Why do we belong to God? Because we bear his image. We bear his likeness. And so this idea of image and likeness has to do with this relationship with God. And, and so the definition of image of God that I've put together for us is this. That the image of God is the imprint of his being. So, as God formed us, created us from the dust of the earth, breathed life into us, that he in many ways, he stamped us with something. And what he stamped us with is an imprint of his very being, of who he is. We are representatives of him. And so this imprint that we have is something that we bear. It means, that means it's something we just have. We just have. It's just something we are image bearers, but it's also something that we reflect. And so it's what we have, and because we have it, we then reflect it. Right? And we're going to flesh this out, what we mean by this. But the idea is that this... this, this well, let me introduce you to a couple, a couple of theological and philosophical words. Ontology, ontology and function. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. The image of God is primarily ontological, not functional. What it means by ontological, it's who we are. Function is what we do. Okay, so, for instance, a function is, uh, is, are the things I do. I think, um, I think, I feel, I make choices, I relate to others. That is functions. Those are things that we do. And oftentimes, whenever people think about the image of God, it's tied to our function. It's what I do. But I would propose to us what the Scripture teaching is, is, is that our primary image of God is not what we do, but who we are. And that's going to have significant implications to everyday life. Okay, it's going to have significant implications to everyday life. And the reason for that is because if it's just about function, okay, think with me for a minute. If image of God is about we think, we feel, we make choices, we relate to others, okay, that, that thing, those are things God does, those are things we do. If that's what makes us the image of God... There are times in our life then we would have more of God's image and less of God's image. Because are there times in our lives where we don't think? Yeah. Yeah, some of you are thinking, yeah, way more than I should, right? Uh, but we realize there are times when we don't think. What about when we, are we sleeping, when we're sleeping? Okay, am I making choices when I'm sleeping? No. I'm not actively making choices. I'm not relating to other people when I'm sleeping. And so when I'm sleeping, I'm not functioning in this way. We could even look at it in issues that we'll look at in a little bit later in our message. When we think about function, 
our human functioning, we often think about when we get old. Okay, how many of you are excited about growing old? Right, not many of us, right? Why? Because we look at aging, we see oftentimes diminished capacities. Right, we don't think as well. You know, don't remember things like we used to. It's a little harder to get around. You get nervous about walking on ice, right, driving at night. You know, those type of things that, that come with aging. And, and, and because what happens at aging is we begin to lose some functioning. And if we don't understand that the image of God is not about our function, but about what we are, it is easy for us to think then we need to put old people on the shelf because they're less valuable than others. But when we understand that we are created in the image of God and the image of God is about ontology, who we are, rather than what we do, this has big implications. And let's look at some of these. Let's seek to understand why this matters. What, why does this make any difference in everyday life? Well, the first thing is this, is that the image of God has significant implications for everyday life. I mean, I think about even in this week's news, last weekend we had the March for Life. Monday was the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day. The government has been shut down for immigration issues. The state of New York passed a law this week that has significant implications. All of these, image of God matters. Okay, and we're going to walk through some of this. So the first distinction, the image of God matters because the image of God makes us distinct from the rest of creation. The image of God makes us distinct from the rest of creation. We can look and think, well, what makes us different than creation? What makes us different? And and what differentiates us from this is that we bear the image of God. Our distinction isn't simply that we're more highly developed, although we are. It's not that we have the ability to communicate like other creatures uh, can't. I mean, we don't see other creatures FaceTiming, right? They haven't come up with that kind of technology. But, so we, we, we are distinct in that way, but that's not what just makes us distinct. Our differences are more than the fact that we walk upright and that we have bigger brains and we have opposable thumbs. Our distinction is that we are made in the image of God. We are different than chickens and dogs and cows and cats and monkeys and gorillas and spinach and trees. We're different. But the question we would have to ask is, what makes us different? People sometimes say, well, look at the DNA of a monkey and the DNA of humans. We have so much overlap, so we're very, we must be very much the same. We could say, look how much water makes up a watermelon. Look how much water makes us up. We must be kind of so close to watermelons. And we have all these things. We think, well, what does make us different? And what makes us distinct? And when we open our Bibles, what we're told is that all the rest of the creation God makes... And then he does something special with us. He makes us in his image. That's what makes us distinct. This is what informs us. This is why this is important is because there are organizations that uh, would argue that people and animals, there's no difference. And we would think of an organization like PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And I would certainly agree, we should treat animals ethically. God has given them to us. We are stewards to take care of animals, but they're not just like us, that we would realize that when we would have organizations like this that will run an ad comparing a chicken farm 
to Nazi concentration camps and saying that they're equal, something inside us says, that's not right. That's not right at all. Because we realize, and it's not just because that we've been duped into thinking that, that chickens are lower than us, but the reality is chickens are different than us. Chickens have been a gift to us. How many of you like chicken nuggets? Right? Okay, now, that's not what makes chicken nuggets good. I mean, what makes us different is, so, but, but we see, but make an argument with somebody about that distinction apart from the image of God. Do chickens have brains? Yep. Okay. Do chickens have eyeballs? Yep. Do they have DNA? Yep. So what makes them different than us? And we would say what makes us different than them is we have been created the image of God to exercise dominion over creation. And so, and when we exercise in the exercise of dominion over creation, we can make the argument that that's figuring out how to feed them certain things so they taste good. And I'm not just joking about that. That's dominion. We are different than the animals. We are different. This is, listen, this is also that why whenever we think about an elderly grandparent, that an elderly grandparent, we want to keep them comfortable. We want to keep them close to us. We want to be holding their hand as they're passing from this life to the next. As painful as that is, that's why we walk through them with this is because they're image bearers. And that's why we'll put our dog to sleep, but we're not going to do that to Grandma. We're image bearers. And we really need to get our heads around this because I think in, there, there are things, I think the church does a pretty good job at understanding this image bearing thing in the early life. I think we have some thinking to do when it comes to older life. I mean, I sometimes will hear people, believers, and we say things like that. Man, if I ever get in that condition, honey, just put a pillow over my head and put me out. And we kind of think, ah, I don't want to live in that condition. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have to be dependent on others. I don't want that. I don't want that. But that's not choices that are in our hands. We are image bearers. Life is valuable. And we, even when we would say that, but I don't feel like I have any more value, I don't have anything to contribute anymore because my mind is gone and because my bodily functions aren't happening, that it is okay then to put us, extinguish our life. We don't do that because God is the giver of life. God is the taker of life. God is the one whose image that we are made in. And so what do we do? We work as hard as we can to keep that person comfortable till the natural end of their life. That's the implication of being an image bearer. As we understand this, that we are distinct from all of creation. And the image of God also means not only are we distinct from the rest of creation, but that we are inherently valuable. And this idea of inherently valuable is different than being intrinsically valuable. Inherently value means that we receive our value from somewhere else. And where we receive our value from is God. We don't have intrinsic value just because of what we are. That's not what makes us think. For instance, think about a painting. We don't value a painting based on how much the canvas costs and how much the ink costs or the paint costs, right? We were in the last summer, we, last year we got to go to France for Emily Ginter's wedding and we went to the Louvre and we saw the Mona Lisa. And I'm thinking... That looks like that's about worth 15 bucks. I mean, I can go buy the canvas, right? And buy the canvas, the paint, then buy it. That's not very much. We say, why is it so valuable? 
it's so valuable because of who made it. And, and, and we would look at those paintings, and paintings have a signature, lots of paintings, valuable paintings. What makes them valuable is that they're made and they're signed by the artist. And when the artist signs it and his name is put on it, then it has value. That, that we would see that we are God's masterpieces. We have been created by his hand. All of creation has been made by him. But then in a very unique way, he wrote his name on us. He placed his image on us. That we have inherent value. A value that has been given to us by God. And this, is, this matters, again, in issues of abortion. And in pre-life that we realize that life has inherent value, and yet we would listen to our culture say that, no, 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 life doesn't have inherent value. Life has value only when I desire it to have value. And so we'll hear about somebody who is, finds out, a woman who finds out they're pregnant, and one woman rejoicing, I've been desired, I've been wanting to be pregnant, I'm, 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 I'm delighted to be pregnant. The other was none planned, it's like, uh-oh, I wasn't planning to be pregnant. Over here, they're saying, because I want this child, this child has value. Over here, it's like, I'm not sure I want this kid. And therefore, our culture would say it doesn't have value then. And if you want to dispose of it, if you want to get rid of it, that's fine. They'll pass laws, they'll let you do that. But over here, a few weeks into that pregnancy, a few months into the pregnancy, it's a miscarriage. And the heart breaks, and it grieves, and there's weeping and the sadness that goes along with that because we realize this was a baby, and it's gone. And we realize that's the perspective that's right. Because that child has value, inherent value. The value doesn't come when I choose that it has value. This is significant. The state of, the state of New York this week passed a law that says that it is, legal to perform to, it is legal to kill a baby up until the moment of delivery. And you're thinking, Why? Because that's how they value life. Life is valuable if I want it. Life is valuable if I desire it. Life, that's what makes life valuable. And if I don't want it, I don't value it, then I, it's not life, it just becomes something else. And we see the utter foolishness of that because we would recognize that a, that a mother who's having complications in a pregnancy, it's in a late-term pregnancy, and the doctors can do a C-section, take the baby out, and fix the baby. And heal it. We'd be like, fantastic. This, why do we do that? Because it has value. Somebody else decides it doesn't have value. A doctor takes forceps and ends its life. The image of God matters. Image matters. What makes it right and wrong is not our determination and our valuing of it. What makes it right and wrong is God's determination and his valuing of it. So all of life, that we realize the image of God makes us inherently valuable. This also applies at the end of life. Inherently valuable. Great-grandpa is valuable because he's an image bearer, not because he can still throw a ball with me or even remember my name. 
He's valuable. He's an image bearer. The image of God makes us distinct. The image of God makes us valuable. The image of God also makes us equal. As we consider the image of God and the implications of it to everyday life, it's significant. Laws being passed about life and death and an end of life and doctor-physician-assisted suicide, abortion, those type of things. But, but we think, too, this past week on Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King, as he is, is, is known that he, we, he is pushing these civil rights for, for African Americans. And we let, recognize in our culture today, racial tensions are high. I mean, I mean, just from a Steve Wicker perspective of it, I don't remember him ever being so, stuff being so tense, just nationwide in our country. I mean, just from my own experience. And as we see this on the news and all these things, and we recognize that the history of our nation bears a significant scar from what happened in the time of slavery and the racism that had followed. And yet the image of God confronts us with the truth that we are all created equal. Listen, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream wasn't some pipe dream. It was a dream that reflects a biblical reality. He said in his, in his speech, he says that we all, the, the I have a dream speech. He said he dreamed of a day when the red hills of Georgia, that the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together in a table of brotherhood. He had a dream when his four little children would one day live in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Fellow image bearers. He had a dream when little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls and, as, as sisters and brothers. And I would propose to you that his dream becomes a reality when we truly embrace the truth that we are all created in the image of God. That regardless of what your skin color may be, regardless of what nationality you may have come from, regardless of whatever social economic status you may be in, regardless of whatever you may have done with your life, that we are all created equal, that we all bear this image of God and therefore we are all valuable. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. I mean, those of us who grew up in Sunday school, I remember singing this song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. What's the next one? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That we're all equal. And if there's some place it should be clear, it should be indeed the church. And yet, we recognize that sin distorts all of these different pieces, and we see that inequality show up whenever we consider ourselves better than or different than others. And turn with me to the book of Luke. And if you're in Matthew, it's just a few books after that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 18. And what happens is that our hearts are tempted to think that we are fundamentally different than other people. And because we are fundamentally different than others, therefore we elevate ourselves and we lower other people. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And um, 
And what's going on in this passage? It says this, And he also told a parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, you could apply that to all kinds of stuff, couldn't you? That I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm going to treat others bad. I'm righteous because of my skin color. I'm righteous because of my education. I'm righteous because of my, educa- my economic level. I'm righteous because I'm an American. I'm righteous because I'm not a criminal. I'm righteous because I haven't used drugs. I'm righteous because of these different things. And I can have all of that. And as I have all that, I can do what? I can treat others with contempt. Think, huh, they're not like me. And he tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Here's the key. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we consider how that fleshes itself out in our culture, we see a multitude of ways that we see this. We see this pharisaical attitude in our own hearts when we would use a racial slur to mock somebody else and to to diminish them and saying, I'm superior to you because I don't belong to your race. I'm superior to you. We can look at somebody from a different nationality, somebody that's come from Mexico and think, well, I'm better than them because I'm a citizen of the United States and have contempt for them. Contempt for them maybe because they're not even here legally. And there's certainly recognition of minding the laws, but it's easy for us to think because they're a criminal, who are they? And I am superior to them because I'm not a criminal after all. And we have this righteousness that stirs up in us. And it doesn't just come in these categories. We hear it when we hear derogatory terms when people talking about other classes of people and talking about those people down this street. They're white trash. They're not like me. They're less worthy than me. Why don't they get their act together? And we have this arrogance that shows up in us that we think about criminals, somebody who has a criminal record, somebody who has been in trouble with drugs or whatever, and thinking, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're lower class than I am. And we realize yet in the midst of this that, that, that do, do we really believe that they're not our equal? I'm concerned that oftentimes we're the guilty Pharisee. And that we would examine our hearts and to think, how is it in my own heart and in my actions and in my words that I am declaring to others that I am superior to them? But see, the image of God makes us all equal. The image of God makes everybody valuable, whether they're red, yellow, black, and white, whether they come from another country, whether they have a different race, whether they're a different economic class. It makes no difference. They're image bearers. And so how do we treat them? We treat them as people, as fellow image bearers. And Jesus would use the term, what do we do with them? We love them. 
We love them. We certainly want to love them wisely. We want to love them wisely with grace and truth, but we love them because they're image bearers. And I would encourage us that we would, we would recognize where we fall short of this, that we would recognize and we would repent of it and say, God, forgive me for having those attitudes. Forgive me of seeing myself as superior and seeing them as lower. God, help me to recognize that in your eyes we're all the same. And in God's eyes we are all the same. Not just because we bear his image, but we also, bear, we also are all equal because we're all ultimately accountable to him. The image of God makes us all accountable to God. Listen, in your garage or in your, like, under your sink, you have some chemicals that uh, if you use, anyway, so this says this, many labels will say this. It is in violation of federal law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with its labeling. So you buy it on the back of your toilet bowl cleaner, that label's on there somewhere. What that means is if you figure out, man, this toilet bowl cleaner, man, it does a great job of removing, I don't know, stains from my sidewalk, all right? And the label says that you're just supposed to use it to clean toilets, and you use it to clean your sidewalk, you're using it in a manner that's inconsistent with labeling, right? And it says that you're in violation of federal law. Now, I don't think there are police looking around for that. That, that certainly is a legality they put on that. So whenever you clean your sidewalk with a toilet bowl cleaner and your kid goes out and plays on the sidewalk and gets blisters on their feet, the manufacturer's saying, not our fault. You shouldn't ask to, but if your kid's foot's in the toilet, that's a problem. But if it's on the sidewalk, you use our product inconsistently, that's on you. But this idea, this it is a federal, it is a violation of federal law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with labeling. I believe that our bearing of God's image is a label that we wear. And that we have a label, and that the label says that it is a violation of divine law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with its labeling. That we were created to, be, to live in a manner consistent with how God has created us. But what do we do? Well, I'm going to use my toilet bowl cleaner to clean my sidewalk because I know better. And we live that way. And when we live that way, inconsistent with how we're created, God calls that sin. And as a result of that, 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 leads, to, that leads to consequences of it. Not just blisters on our feet, but the Scripture says the wages of sin is death. And we also recognize that we all bear this image, we all bear it equally, and we have all fallen short of that. And the Word of God reminds us of that, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we are equal in God as image bearers, but we're also equal as sinners. And we're accountable to God. And we're accountable to Him. And the fact that we're accountable to Him is trouble for us apart from the gospel. Because this is the good news, that, that as we look at how sin messes everything up, that sin makes us say, oh, we're all the same, that well, some life's valuable, others aren't, some people are more equal than others, that we come before, the, before God and understanding that sin turns all this upside down, that God in his love has sent us a rescuer a rescuer to bring clarity to us, to change our hearts so that, so that this image of God that has been tarnished by sin, that the gospel comes and begins to remove that tarnish.
so we reflect God more and more clearly. Recognize it, recognizing that Jesus has come to rescue us from our sin and to make it possible for us to fully live up to everything that we already are. That we are image bearers. Listen, Jesus died for image bearers. Jesus didn't die for lettuce and cows and chickens and trees. Jesus died for us. The beautiful thing is, though, in his death in us, all of creation one day is going to benefit. Jesus loves us. Jesus died for image bearers. Jesus died because we have inherent value. We are his children. And we're his children who have become prodigals and, and we've gone off to live life on our own terms and do our own things. And yet the Father cares about us and loves us. And unlike the parable in the Scriptures, in real life, the good older son comes to get the prodigal. That Jesus has come to rescue us and to bring us back to the Father. Jesus died... For image bearers, he died because we have inherent value. He died because we are all equal. We are all equally sinners. And he died because we're accountable, because the wages of sin is death. And the good news is that Jesus brings clarity to our understanding. And why the gospel is essential in this, it's essential for us to live as image bearers properly. But the gospel also gives us tools to help others. Because, listen, having an argument with somebody who believes that a chicken farm and a Nazi uh, concentration camp are the same things, logic is not going to get them there. They've got to have a change of heart. Somebody who thinks that it is reasonable to kill a child up to the moment of birth is not going to be convinced with information. They've got a dark heart. When we realize these type of things, we realize it's the gospel that makes the difference. And that is what we must be proclaiming, the gospel, a gospel of life, a gospel of value, that we all have this value. We've been stamped with the image of God. And so with the teenager who's contemplating suicide because I don't matter, to be able to say to them, you do matter, and there's a God who loves you and made you valuable. We recognize that all, all kinds of implications on this idea of image of God, and it's important for us to understand it clearly and to be able to articulate it so we know what we believe, why we believe it, but then we're also able to come alongside of others and help them to see. But we also trust that it's only the gospel that opens their eyes. And so I want to encourage you this morning to, to, to humble yourself. To humble yourself but then in that humility to take great confidence that we would humble ourselves to realize that we are distinct, valuable, equal, and accountable because of God's work in us. And because of that, that we would trust Him, follow Him, live for Him, that we would do all these things because of who He is. The gospel frees us for this. Well, as we conclude this morning, I want to encourage you to, to do some thinking. I encourage you to, to think hard about this outline, what we have seen in this, to think about how does your view of life, how does your view of the end of life, how does your view of, of our equality with others, issues of race, even issues of immigration, and realizing that all of these should be shaped by understanding of the image of God. So I want to encourage you this morning to examine yourself, to think hard, and then be able to engage with others with these truths. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love for us. And God, as we think about your, your love for us that we sang about this morning, Lord, that we would recognize that we love you as you have first loved us. And God, thank you that you have stamped us with your image. We recognize that that gives us tremendous value, that makes us distinct, but it also has implications for everyday life. So Lord, help us. Help us to think clearly. Help us to think biblically. Help us to, 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 to rest in the truth of the gospel, that we would rest in the fact that Jesus wants to, to, to work in us so that we fully reflect the image of God clearly to others. And so God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.